0: Welcome to the Bulwark Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. It is Friday and it has been a busy week. So because it's Friday, once again, I am joined by New York Times bestselling author Tim Miller.
1: Uh, Yeah, it is good. We we might need some music for me now when I get called in. Um, I'm happy to be here. I'm getting caffeinated. And, you know, people say it's the doldrums, summer doldrums. And like, we got a week, we got a packed show. You you and I were just running down all the things that are going on today. And it was like, we're not going to get
0: to all this, are we? So could we start with the politics of petulance? Uh, This is an extraordinary story. And I want you to try to explain this to me where um, the you look, I mean, like back up all the things that are going on here. The Republicans are basically having a tantrum in the Senate because they feel that they were outmaneuvered by yeah. Chuck Schumer and Joe Manchin. By the way, words we'd never thought that we would say, and 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 so they're voting against bills for veterans and burn pits. They are, uh, you know, threatening to torpedo gay marriage legislation. They began whipping against the semiconductor bill that they had just voted for because this is just wrong and we have to do all this. And 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 as I wrote in my newsletter this morning, you know, this is not the politics of any sort of ideological principle. This is the politics of pure petulance. And I will say that yesterday, uh, Republicans in the Senate took a vote that uh, that I think they're going to regret. You may you may disagree with me on this. I think they're gonna regret this. John Stewart is holding nothing back. And he's talking about the reversal uh, by a number of Republican senators who had voted for this legislation that would provide more support for veterans who had been exposed to burn pits and then flip-flopped, you know, as part of their petulance and uh, voted against a, a procedural motion. This is John Stewart yesterday in D.C.
1: She sat in an office with Mitch McConnell
0: And a war veteran from Kentucky, and he looked that man in the eyes
1: and he said, We'll get it done. And he lied to him. Because Mitch McConnell yesterday flipped. I'm used to the lies. I'm used to the hypocrisy. Senator Pat Toomey won't take a meeting with the veterans groups. Sends out his chief of staff. I'm used to the cowardice. I've been here a long time. Senate's where accountability goes to die. These people don't care. They're never losing their jobs. They're never losing their health care. Pat Toomey didn't lose his job, he's walking away. God knows what kind of pot of gold he's stepping into to lobby this government, to shit on more people. I'm used to all of it, but I am not used to the cruelty.
0: So here, here's one story. Blindsided veterans erupted in anger and indignation Thursday after Senate Republicans suddenly tanked a widely supported bipartisan measure that would have expanded medical coverage for millions of combatants exposed to toxic burn pits during their service. OK, in fairness, Pat Toomey is saying, well, no, 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 I, I, I'm just objecting to certain accounting changes. They changed the way that this is being spent and all of this. Most people aren't buying that, as far as I can tell. This looks like it was like, no, you're you're going ahead with reconciliation, so we're just going to fuck you over on all this other legislation. But, Tim, I mean, don't most politicians have that, that gene, that instinct that says don't take this vote, don't do this right now? What's going on?
1: Um well the first thing that's going on and I just think the important thing to just for everybody just to let settle in and just appreciate on this Friday going into our weekend is that old Joe Mansion Papa Blacklong Is just running circles around cocaine, Mitch, running circles around him. And it might, it might even be, this could make it even better, Charlie. It might even be a Mr. Magoo type situation. Like he might be doing it by accident. (laughs) It's hard to tell if he's a tactical genius or like just so dumb that he outmaneuvered Mitch by accident. Either way, Mitch gets out. So, people who don't get it, I, I want to get into the merits of all this because, like, the, for it's it's so strange. Sometimes Washington will go three, four, five months and not do anything of use to anybody. Right. And, and like, this week oh there are like three or four bills that have real impact, real world impact. So, I want to get to the merits of all of them. But, but just really quick for people who. You know, we're we're not a Beltway navel-gazing podcast, Charlie, so we haven't been following all the minute-by-minute, minute. not all the listeners might not have been following. So so the, the short of it is this. There's been this microchips bill that's been sitting around in Congress for quite a while now, and it had had the votes to pass, but Democrats didn't push it through. It felt at the time like maybe that was a tactical mistake, maybe it was and that this accidentally accrued to their favor. Maybe Chuck Schumer is a tactical genius, hard to say. But essentially Mitch McConnell said that they're not going to vote on this microchip bill which is important for competitiveness to China unless the Democrats agree that BBB or what has turned it what whatever turns of BBB is dead. Right. So that, that was kind of the deal, essentially, that Mitch McConnell s- struck is like he's going to hold this chips bill hostage until whoever Joe Manchin in this case, you know, says that, you know, he's not going to go ahead with some version of a reconciliation bill. Uh, and and Joe Manchin said that in an interview, you see, uh, it was, I guess, last week that he said he was going to kill this. Uh, maybe it was earlier this week. We're living dog years these days. And so they moved forward with the chips bill passed the chips bill, passed it through the Senate, 64 votes, I think, um, goes to the House. Yep. The next day, Joe Manchin and Chuck Schumer announce we've got a deal mm-hmm. on the reconciliation bill. And so um, that gave Mitch McConnell the raw ass. Uh, that's yep. a technical term. Um, and, and so he gets pissed. The Republican senators are pissed. You can now imagine, now I want to get into, you know, some of the material from the book, right? They lost in the game. Right. Their asses are chapped. They're walking around the Senate dining room. You know, John Cornyn and all the other senators are going up to Mitch saying, What happened? We got outmaneuvered by 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 Manchin? Like, how is this possible? You know, we can't let this stand. We gotta fight these guys back. We gotta stop it. We can't keep giving them all these wins. You know, you can't give Biden chips and reconciliation and the burn pits bill and gay marriage. Like we gotta slow their momentum. And so they talk themselves into basically the politics of petulance, as you said, which is, um, in order to, to slap back at the Democrats for the successful procedural gamesmanship, they're going to oppose, uh, the burn pits bill. At least some of them, it's possible that Toomey himself, who's retiring might have had issues with the, with the, um, with the specifics of the changes, yeah, but, but, right. but like, this is not Mitch McConnell's concern. I mean, give me a break. And then Susan Collins said the same thing, essentially on gay marriage. So once you strip away all the bullshit, what the Republicans have decided to do is because they are upset that a chips bill passed, which they supported. <laughs> Mm-hmm. and that a reconciliation bill is going to be brought up for a vote that they have a chance to oppose in order to to get back quote unquote at the democrats for that they are going to refuse to codify gay marriage and refuse to help wounded veterans this seems like cutting off your nose to spite your face but I, my answer to your original question why are they doing it goes back to exactly what you know, I've been writing about this is DC brainworms. Like you get so wrapped up in, am I winning right now, or am I losing? Am I playing this game, or am I not playing the game? That you end up doing things that that accrue to the harm of the people that you're purporting to serve. And so, you know, this is I, I, just one thing on this. I got a fair criticism email from a Bulwark fan one time that said, you know, you guys. Every time, like, the Democrats are incompetent, you say they don't play hard-nosed, you know, hard-nosed football enough, uh, they don't play it rough like Republicans. Then every time the Democrats, like, do something a little over the line on, you know, whatever, Supreme Court expansion or, or helping MAGAs in primaries, you, you know, wrap their knuckles and say, you know, Democrats are just being just as nihilistic as Republicans. Uh, and th- this is the deal. This is an example. This is how you do it. This yeah, is, is did. This is political gamesmanship that that you know is but was within integrity that is where the politics and the policy align. Like where I start to get pissed is and not if this is John Stewart. I mean that, that was fucking on fire. But when I start to get pissed is when you play the political games in a way that hurt people. And right. they go against the policy, right? And and that, um and that's obviously what the Republicans are doing right now. And I and I you know, again, will it well does does this mean the Democrats are gonna win the midterms? I you know, I don't know. Um, but but is it is it a real political loser for Republicans? And do the Democrats have a little bit of wind at their sails for the first time in a year? Yeah, absolutely, I think.
0: No, I think right now you you're looking at the you, you look at the state of play and you go, okay, w- this is weird. This is, um, you know, check my notes here, but it looks like Democrats in array, Republicans in disarray on all of this. But, you know, <laughs> you, 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 your point is, I mean, first of all, you know, this is, this is bad, this bad uh, optics is bad positioning, but it's also bad on, on the substance. And so today is the final day of the legislative session, right? A congressional session. So if they don't fix this with the burn pit issue. This is going to be hung around Republicans for a month. There's nothing that they will be able to do about it. I mean, this is a vote that, that Ron Johnson took, that Mike Lee took, that Republicans will face, uh, you know, you know, so we say, you know, difficult re-election fights uh, voted against these veterans. And these veterans are out there. And uh, this doesn't play like a partisan issue. This is like, are you for the veterans? Are you against the veterans? You sent them off to war. This happened to them. You promised that you were going to do something about it and then you reneged on this promise for reasons that frankly you're not going to be able to articulate uh, clearly right. and quickly and easily it is disastrous and, and the Susan Collins you know suggesting that the surprise climate deal you know is going to make it much 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 harder to pass a bill protecting same sex marriage i thought your tweet was perfect you said you're translating her, summarized her position. I will oppose an overwhelmingly popular bill to protect gay marriage that I would otherwise support because I'm mad the Democrats held a vote on this microchip bill that I also supported. This really is for people who want to know what the term DC brainworms means. (laughs) This, this makes sense in her head in that caucus. And it just strikes me as disastrous politics. So, you know, there have been two things, and of course, you know, we often give Democrats advice that they feel free to ignore. <laughs> but number one, in terms of going at Republican vulnerabilities, earlier this week, I thought Joe Biden came up with a good line. He says, you can't be pro-cop and pro-insurrection. Yep. Take that to them. You are not the party that backs the blue if, in fact, you won't stand up uh, for law enforcement in- involved with the January 6th. That's number one. Number two, th- Republicans have wrapped themselves in the cause of we stand with the veterans, we are all for the veterans, except p o w s we like the ones who aren't captured, right, but we are all for the veterans, and then make them explain this, so they should be pounding and pounding and pounding away on all of this. This feels like the first time in about eighteen months that most of the energy of the Democrats is not being spent attacking other Democrats. unbelievable. Uh, Kirsten Cinema does, but you know, but go oh ahead. yeah,
1: TBD on Cinema, but uh, okay, I want to get Cinema in a second, just really quick on the burn pits on the vets one more time. Mm-hmm. Stewart on Newsmax, did you see this? I tweeted this yesterday. I Here did. Gonna, I did. Like, go down my feed. Like this is how you do it, right? Like this is they're going into deep Republican turf, and not, you know trying to fight on ground that like make the Democrats feel like they're on their high horse or whatever, but that actually don't land with Republican voters, right? Which it feels like is what the Democrats do a lot. Uh, you know, the finger wag, this is the type of finger wagging. That's like, actually you got to feel like the Newsmax viewers are watching this and saying, yeah, this, this John Stewart, Absolutely. I might not like this guy, but this guy is right. Like this is BS. This is crazy. Uh, you know, we're not, we're not funding, you know our uh, you know veterans who who are dealing with long term medical issues at Lucas uh, Kuntz, who's running for senate in in Missouri mm-hmm. just had a just just uh, lick spittle like twitter feed he's a veteran uh who had some exposure to burn pits and and you know just about how angry he is has friends you know who are dealing with this you know former people that he worked with i this is just this is a loser like a flat loser and and if you're putting yourself in a situation where you can let somebody like john stewart go on to newsmax and get points over on on the host that that's not that's a, that's a sign that you, you really yeah that you've just stepped derivative. in stepped oh, in it. Okay. I
0: link this together in my mind. This may be my bulwark brain worm, but okay, uh, sure. on the issue of of exploiting <laughs> vulnerabilities, the January sixth committee just put out a, a a tweet. I think it was a couple of days ago, and maybe uh, yeah, two days ago, saying you know one year ago today, basically, officers Harry Dunn, Michael Fanone, Daniel Hodges, and Sergeant uh, Aquilino Gunnell testified about their uh, experiences defending the Capitol against a violent mob. Through our hearings, the American people have seen what our brave officers had to endure on January 6th. And there's a picture of those officers. And there's a picture of Adam Kinzinger shaking one of their hands, Liz Cheney shaking one of their hands, uh, another congressman shaking Daniel Hodges' hands. This is such a... (sighs) I think it's such a stark contrast the way that the Republicans who have downplayed the significance of January 6th have really abandoned those officers, are not interested in those officers, don't recognize yep. them really as, as, as heroes, uh, minimize their heroism. So what I tweeted out this morning was my advice to January 6th is, OK, you had them testify a year ago. Do it again. Bring them back. Primetime testimony this time played the greatest hits you may think well we've already done that no it's going to be new to the 17 20 million people who might watch primetime hearing in september and again in terms of you know highlighting the hypocrisy by the way speaking of highlighting the hypocrisy before I forget, i have to mention this you saw this this tweet from the kansas city star missouri senator josh Hawley is this is not a parody this is not a joke i know Josh Hawley is writing a book titled The Masculine Virtues, is that what it is? Manhood, The Masculine (laughs) Virtues Americans Need. Run Run away, run away, run away. Josh Hawley, manhood because I am manly. See, this is the kind of stuff that's going to kill them in the long run. It's like, we are for veterans. We are for cops. We are manly. Okay.
1: Yeah, I kinda of <laughs> sad. Again, sometimes the podcast, I don't know. I, I already did my Josh Hawley. I I guess I mispronounced this show I'm a man of the people though. Last week I was mm-hmm. corrected. I mispronounced. I said he took a gap year on the River Thames. And I guess it's the River Thames. You didn't correct me. me. You're a yeah. man of the world. You should have corrected me. Um, you know, I'm just a regular American out here in flyover country. I don't know how to pronounce the River Thames, but uh uh we already did that shtick and uh, <laughs> I think you covered it. <laughs> so I just want to talk uh, it's also on the merits. Like this is the thing that makes people so mad, and that I, eventually, you know, it. You just have to hope that it works to the Republicans' disfavor, and even if it doesn't, whatever, right? Like, like these, these cops. at least
0: entertains us.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, the only thing entertains us, but also just on the emotional side, the these cops, like what they had to go through, you know, because Donald Trump is a man baby. Yeah, You know, no. it's just it's just sickening. It makes you sick. And the fact that all these guys are hiding behind Liz Cheney's pantsuit or whatever, like trying to deal with this is pathetic. Like, these guys are all cowards and they should be shamed. And if for no other reason than to th- do I agree with you, I don't maybe it's bullock brain worms to think it would help politically. But if for no other reason, just to make these guys feel bad and feel small, I think it's a great idea. OK,
0: Tim. Let's just talk about what's going on in some of the Senate races. Fox News poll out showing uh, Dr. Oz trailing John Fetterman by 11 points in Pennsylvania. That's just not kind of that's not working for him over there, is it?
1: Dr. Oz is running one of the worst campaigns that I've ever seen for a Senate. I, I, he's got time to turn it around, but it's, un- yeah, and it's what unclear. What is Herschel Walker? Yeah, yeah. what? I, well, what is his message? <laughs> At least the Herschel Walker people seem to be trying to work with a bad candidate, right? <laughs> trying to like, do the best they can with an absolutely insane candidate, uh, Doctor. It's unclear what the strategy is of Dr. Oz, like, and while while Fetterman just relentlessly pummels him from for being a charlatan from New Jersey. Um, uh, the odds campaign is just flailing. I, you know, I, I saw the first ad that he put on TV that was just kind of this hodgepodge of, yeah, whatever Fox news speak about socialism and whatever, I, you know, it, it, I'm sure it's okay. It's, it, I'm, I'm sure it will land with the Republican base shore up those voters, but I, I don't exactly know what, what his plan is to start to wedge Fetterman. So that's that right now Um, in the, and, I, and I'm going to, uh, I'm going to do a triad takeover on Monday and give people a full Senate analysis of where we stand. But, you know, in the Tim, what should we call it? The Tim race rankings. I'm stealing from Charlie cook. Uh, Pennsylvania is feeling, uh, like a like a pickup uh, for Democrats, which yeah. which which then gets right. them to 51. OK, which means then the Republicans, the short of it and, you know, I'll go into this deeper on Monday, but the short of it is that then Republicans need to take two back, you know, to put Turtle Mitch um, back in the majority leader's chair. And so. Uh, there's it's it's a it's a hard map for that to come up with that I, I think that uh, it's possible for sure um, Nevada I think looks like a prime <laughs> pickup opportunity especially with Hispanics moving over Arizona which I want to talk about next Mark Kelly I think that's an interesting race potential um, I, I just came from Colorado uh, maybe the most normal Republican besides Brad Raffensperger nominated in the country was nominated for the Colorado Senate race so I'd keep an eye on that but but you know now that's a stretch Colorado's a blue state so we're really You know, a a situation that you would think in a wave year, the Republicans would be in a better position than they are to pick up just one seat, which is all they need to take the Senate. And um, and I don't know, Uh, you know, then Georgia, you're Herschel, you're you're settling on Herschel Walker. So it's uh, it's ugly. And I'm not sure that's really like settled in for people yet. Like the, the new reality is that it's really more than a coin flip. I think the Democrats favor right now.
0: I don't disagree with that, which is why what's happening in Wisconsin is somewhat concerning to me. Obviously, being from Wisconsin and ha- having a lot of baggage here, uh, I, I think that Ron Johnson was the most vulnerable Republican in the country, re- Republican incumbent in the, in the in the country. But in the last week, I've uh, had a couple of developments. Two of the other leading Democrats. Uh, dropped out of the Senate race, basically clearing the field for uh Mandela Barnes, who is you know the most aggressively uh progressive candidate in, in that race. This is the dream matchup for Ron Johnson. I think one of the reasons, one of the several reasons that Johnson decided to, to break his pledge and run for uh, a, a third term was because he thought he might face Mandela Barnes, who has like lots of stuff in his Oppo research file. So that one might be taken off the table. You may disagree with me about
1: that. Yeah, I just I'll just uh, say yeah. I am yeah. a little confused maybe you're on the ground there yeah. and I haven't heard like about why all of them dropped out. I would have thought that they would have cleared the field for one to challenge Mandela. So I don't know. I, well, I Sarah Godlewski I, is still in the race,
0: and she's the more centrist candidate. But I, uh, I no, I, she I, just dropped out of the race twenty three minutes ago. I have a okay. I have, well, I have a breaking news
1: item for us. <laughs> um, well, that,
0: that that's that is fascinating. Because that this sort of thing generally doesn't happen. That people you know this close to the primary all drop out. So I'm sure. I, numbers,
1: I'll say the one thing about, and you're there, so I, I yeah, don't to... Yeah, I guess yeah, this is my yeah. one contrarian point it's just more it's less I don't think that any of your concerns about Mandela are wrong I'm just open to the idea that um you know Evers is more popular than Johnson in the state right now okay so if you just look at straight at the Marquette polling favorability unfair Evers is not like overwhelmingly popular but he but he's more popular than Johnson and more popular than Biden so Mandela can Mandela kind of get some of the shine from that You know, can he can he jack up turnout in 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 uh, Madison, Milwaukee enough? Um, You know, I, I think that like if you look at his campaign messaging, it's it is attempting to try to not not quite as aggressively as Tim Ryan, who by the way in Ohio is doing a fantastic job about this. Every Democrat should just watch Tim Ryan's ads and. And see, you know how and that it's, would be. Um, and that would be a pickup too. That would, uh, that be, would be a pickup. Pick yeah. It's tougher. It's tough. Much tougher state. Yeah. Um, so, I, um, but but can Mandela sort of use some of that? I don't. I don't know. I, I think. I, all I'm saying is, I don't think that it's it's like, it's quite as open and shut as you make it out to be. But I, I would. I think. I would agree that Johnson's yeah. a favorite. Yeah. No. It, it is. It is open and shut.
0: Um, <laughs> and, and 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 the the downside for this, you know, clearing the field uh, for Barnes is that Barnes goes into a general election really untested. I mean sometimes as you know a uh, primary can be kind of a trial by fire where you see how they and you know, how yeah. nimbly they're able to That's respond true. to uh you know negative attacks. And the other democrats decided early on that they weren't going to go negative on Barnes. I mean in in private of course my email box is just absolutely jammed with people saying uh well, you know, Barnes is not electable. You know, wait till, wait till this right. hits him. It's like, OK, well, what are you going to do about it? And the answer is nothing. No outside money came in. So the fact this is, is that- this is a
1: funny thing about Democrats, by the way. It's like, yeah. you know, I'm learning about my new, uh, my new coalition yeah. here. Uh, and in some ways, it's kind of charming. But in other ways, it might be uh, self-harm. Uh, is this <laughs> is in Republican primaries, right? Like these i mean McCormick and oz just like tore each other's faces off in that republican primary I and mean, they did not pull mm-hmm. a single punch i mean they went for the throat and <clears> throat> and in democratic primaries if you do like you know i was cuz I, I was talking to me about wisconsin before everybody dropped out just hypothetically and we were just kind of gaming it out and i had a mutual friend who's friends with alex lazary and so we were kind of just sort of gaming out like what might lazary do and it's like even the lightest attack from Lazary, you know, talking about electability, would have almost certainly accrued to his disfavor, right? Because Democratic voters would be so mad that they would be doing these nasty attacks that it would actually harm the attacker. We, you, right. We've seen this in right. the past sure. in Democratic right. primaries. So uh, it's just like the nature of the coalitions are such that that this sort of trial by fire like doesn't really happen. Um, and, yep. and the Democrats had with few exceptions, I mean, like Elizabeth Warren, just crushing Mike Bloomberg because he was such an obvious, like interloper, like that worked, but a lot of times it does, it, you see it backfire.
0: And the problem then is you don't know how Barnes is going to respond when it right. comes because look, and I don't I know. you can email me, you know, actually this stuff doesn't matter, but I mean, the stuff about, you know, the defund, the police abolishing ice, uh, some of the other stuff, um, you know. There's going to be twenty million dollars worth of Oppo research now dumped, you know, between now and and November. Uh, you know, Johnson and the Republicans will have no shortage of cash, and they will define Mandela Barnes um, in that particular way. So, how will he respond? What will his pushback be? Well, we don't know because he never had to do that during the yeah, primary. So that's the untested. So the other big story here in Wisconsin is this weird proxy fight now between much of the. Republican elected establishment. I hate that word, actually. Uh, Former Governor Scott Walker, uh, even Ted Cruz, uh, Mike Pence, supporting Rebecca Clayfish for governor. She's the former lieutenant governor. For reasons that are not clear to me or a lot of other folks, Donald Trump decided to make this one of his stands. And he is has endorsed this uh, businessman named Tim Michaels. He's coming in. uh, Trump is actually coming into Wisconsin. Uh, to hold a rally for Tim Michaels, uh, I, th- I think, on Monday. And interestingly enough, Ron Johnson uh, is not going to show up at the rally because he's trying to stay out of a diver- what's becoming a very, very divisive primary. So here you have Donald Trump coming in and dividing the Republican Party <laughs> right now in such a way that even Ron Johnson doesn't want to be associated with because people are going, okay, so Rebecca Clayfish, we know her. She's been around a long time. She is very, very, very conservative. This notion now that she's a rhino, because I don't have any idea what that's about. And it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. But once again, like in Arizona, we have a Pence versus Trump kind of proxy war, but also Trump's aligned himself with a candidate that I mean, Tim Michaels is one of these out of state millionaires who has also a lot of baggage. And if he wins this primary, he is also kind of untested because you know that the Democrats will then drop 10, 20 million dollars you know, doing what John Fetterman is doing to Dr. Oz, pointing out Tim Michaels has this $17 million house in Connecticut. He's from out of town and there's, they have to have drones flying over with the pictures of his house. And it's like, guys, do you have any idea what's about to drop on you from there? So Tony Evers may be popular. He's a very uninspiring, very uncharismatic candidate who would normally be dead man walking in a Republican year. But Republicans seem to be in this mood of uh, of tearing each other's faces off at the moment. And Donald Trump is not helping.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I mean, as a, as, so as a personal matter, I couldn't give a shit less about Rebecca Clayfish versus Tim yeah. Michaels right. or who's right. better, who's right. worse. The funny right. thing for me watching all this is just the cowardly Republicans. You know, in some in some ways, it's kind of sad and angering to watch the cowardly Republicans refuse to vote for the burn pit bill and the and, you know, yep. the gay, gay right. marriage and to stand up and, and to stand up to Trump and and convict him. In this case, it's kind of their cowardice is pretty funny. (laughs) I mean, like Grant Johnson has to like lie. What was his? He's like got to wash his hair or something that day that Donald Trump is going to be there. He comes up with some some uh, excuse for why he can't be at the rally, and and none of them have the cojones to just tell him to stop. Right? I mean, I mean, he's actively harming the party's chances, and across multiple states, I I in the Oz thing. is is just example a of this Uh, it's 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 quite unclear that Oz wins that primary right without Trump's endorsement Uh, maybe Kathy Barnett does and it's worse anyway but maybe McCormick does right it's just it's kind of unknown so Trump is not just dividing but pushing less electable people Uh, across the board, and none of these guys, you know, are are telling them to shut up. And we were talking about this on the next level. It's like, well, they kind of, you know, they might say it on background or sort of imply that it's not helpful or whatever. But then, you know, Trump goes on stage and is like, these guys are wino losers, you know, and we're going to crush them. And then, you know, on background, the quote unquote, establishment guys are like, well, you know, I wish Mr. Trump would look forward a little bit more, but he does. He was a great broad-shouldered leader, right? I mean, like, yeah. like it's not a real, it's not a real war here. Uh, no. Um, okay. So speaking of uh, of
0: Donald Trump, I know that you guys uh, on the live stream last night were debating uh, prosecution or pardon. Should Donald Trump go to jail? This doesn't seem like a hard question to me. Too. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I don't know that it, I don't know that it merited the full thirty minute discussion uh-huh. last night. Um uh yeah, I mean he needs to run in jail. I don't I mean there are obviously some prudential questions about you know, can you even impanel a jury for someone like Donald Trump? Is that even possible? If it is possible, is it possible to do so without having a crypto maga on there? I maybe not, right? I, I don't you know, there's some some just uh, we're in uncharted waters here. Um, you know, hot. What happens when you're prosecuting someone that's actively running for president? I, you know, this feels like something that would be that should be happening. You know, in like Belarus, not the United States. Um, but okay. Uh, you know, the the reality is on the merits. I think if the question is, did he commit a, con- a seditious conspiracy to to prevent the peaceful transfer of power? Obviously. So I, I just, to me well i I just don't see what choice you have except to prosecute them. no i I agree in fact the the more that I think about
0: it I, I mean I do understand the you know the prudential concerns and uh people ought not to be under any you know uh you know uh, illusions about how incendiary it is to charge the former president i mean you right. know and 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 in fact, it might help him politically there is that possibility in the in the way that the impeachment trials actually solidified support in the Republican base. I mean, I still think they should have gone ahead with it, but people need to understand that this, this would be a political bomb. It will take the divisions in the country and it will make them, you know, you know, we'll pour kerosene on them to use a uh, rather tired cliche, (laughs) but, but you have to do it. Otherwise you've established the precedent that sitting presidents, former presidents and presidential candidates are all above the law which is incredibly dangerous. The more I think about it, the more I think that given the fact that whatever charges they bring will be like this neutron bomb, they ought to go big. That if you're Merrick Garland, you go, okay, we could charge him with, you know, some small little misdemeanor type things or here. You know, let's go for it. I mean, let's lay out the whole thing. Let's do what Andrew Weissman is describing. You know, the whole hub and spoke conspiracy. You know, go for the maximum charge because actually the controversy created by the maximum charge will not be appreciably bigger or worse than the controversy and the firestorm created by the minimal. you know, weenie charges. Do you follow me here? That if you're going to do it, you might as well just fucking do it. Concur.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Let's talk about reconciliation. Are you getting a lot of blowback for your, you're like tweeting out, you're doubling down on the St. Joe mansion thing. I mean, among some of your new friends from whom you are getting that strange new respect, um, saying St. Joe Manchin has got to be as close to heresy. If somebody
1: wants to send me a Joe Manchin T-shirt, I will oh, wear no. it on MSNBC. OK, I am. I am maybe Whoa. a medium or small, depending on the depending on, you know, whether it's a hipster shirt or not. I, I will wear it. I'm like the number one Joe Manchin supporter on the entire network. I'm happy to do. I'm happy to play that role. And Only I, one. Only one? It's uh, certainly the number one. I don't know about the only one, but he is—he's uh, the most important politician in America. And um, and and for some reason, the Democrats don't give him enough credit for that. And and he's—we're on the cusp of of having like some very real substantive victories in addition to political victories that only would have happened if it wasn't for Joe Manchin. Um, and the infrastructure bill probably would have happened without him. But besides that, basically everything the Democrats have done um, and, uh, you know, which has mostly been good, I think obviously in retrospect, the COVID uh, bill was was over overheated. But uh, besides that, like the other uh, uh, legislative accomplishments, chips and, and in my opinion, which I want to get to this reconciliation bill are all good policy and good politics. And Joe Manchin, let's just the, the, one other thing. Joe Manchin was right about BBB was right on the policy, was right on the politics. BBB was too big, too much spending. It was inflationary. I know the Democrats wanted to pretend like it wasn't inflationary. It would have been inflationary right now at this time. Joe Manchin was worried about that, maybe because he's dumb, maybe because he's has smart economic advisors. I don't know. It could have been accidental, but he, it, he was right about that. He was right about the politics. Nobody knew what was in it. We, we talked about this agnoseum. This new bill is very simple. It's an inflation reduction act. You can talk about that. You're cutting spending. You're cutting spending. Maybe people don't care about that, but it's something you can hold over Republicans' heads. You're dealing with climate, which is the one thing that your base was was really super jazzed about. You're dealing with some uh, uh, Obamacare extensions, which is just important practical politics. And and to pay for it like you're jamming it to the bankers. I mean, this is this is good politics, good policy. And by the way, it seems to me, I don't want to speak for the dead, but like it's the exact kind of thing that John McCain would have been, for, mm-hmm. which is the point I wanted to get at. I mean, when John McCain was running in 2008, this was literally his agenda, uh, deficit reduction, dealing with climate change. I know it's so weird for people to remember that, but in 2008, John McCain wanted to do a deficit reduction deal, right. wanted to do a climate deal with the Democrats. Those were both his explicit Campaign promises—that's what Joe Manchin just cut with Chuck Schumer. It's a—it should be something that is friendly to you know the rvat type voters uh, that they like, and that that something that the base can get excited about. Some of my Lib friends already posted on Instagram about how happy they are. That's a good sign, uh, you know, that the that you're giving the base something. So I just. I I I just am effusive in my praise of this on both the politics and the policy, and Joe Manchin is literally the only one it seems like in the party who got it. So I low clap. Well. Here's some radical
0: agreement here. Okay, great. I I, I think the mansion actually rescued the the Democrats from what would have been a disastrous uh, political mistake. first of all, um, he did uh, he got the the inflation danger way earlier than anybody else. Uh, you know, w- when uh, the Democratic talking point was to poo poo it, he was saying, you know, if we pump all of this money in this particular way into the economy right now. Um, it will boost inflation. And so you can imagine what the politics would be. And I think Republicans agree on this that that, you know, had you gone for the whole hog, the trillions of, of dollars, it would be a an albatross around the Democrats' neck yep. right now. But also, <clears throat> think where we are right now, and I'm just gonna make this very, very brief. You know, I, I always thought Build Back Better was just a terrible title. Um, it was, I don't know how they focus grouped that one. But the new bill, the new title that apparently is the Joe Manchin bill, the the uh, Inflation Reduction Act of 2022, I mean, that is not awful, Tim. Not awful. That is a better approach than this one. And so between this and the CHIPS bill, if Democrats can go to the country and say, this creates, number one, I mean, this creates And we'll bring back manufacturing jobs in the industrial Midwest. These are bills that will push back against competition from China. These are all things that I think, you know, flip the script on the on the Republicans in ways that earlier in the show we were talking about, you know, on veterans and on cops. But if they if they find a way to, you know, make it very clear that this is about jobs Blue collar jobs in the industrial Midwest, putting Americans back to work, good paying jobs, competitive jobs, and that we just stuck it to the Chinese. Not not a bad talking point.
1: And okay. Tim Ryan nailed that. Just really quick. I don't know. Again, no, this don't. is my Tim Ryan fan yeah. it, but he nailed that on the floor uh, just uh-huh. yesterday. No, he he actually has
0: figured out a way. To sort of counter, not sort of, he's he's figured out a way to counter the fake populism of the J.D. Vance's. Okay, uh, we don't really have time to get into Ron DeSantis, and except I would urge people to read this Vanity Fair story. You and I are both quoted in there. You know, there are you had never- a better quote. Well, no, I mean it's a you know <laughs> the fanzine the- was good. Well, I, I I was pleased with that. I was pleased that they that they made my quote, National Review is basically a fanzine for Ron DeSantis right now. They made that the headline. So I was deeply gratified by that. But it is interesting that there are never Trumpers who are going, all right. So Trump is really, really terrible. I mean, DeSantis may be terrible, but he's not as bad as as Trump. So they've they they've just moved the bar down. Although I think that, you know, a, again. Is this now the new standard? You know, that if you're not absolutely thoroughly ghastly, we're going to embrace you. And you're quoted, your piece in the bulwark is is quoted about okay, if if DeSantis is less dangerous, maybe he should say so. Maybe he shouldn't be embracing the stop the steal or you know, fooling around with the suggestion that the FBI might be behind the Capitol riot. I mean, really, if you wanna show that you're not as crazy and anti democratic as Donald Trump, maybe say that sometime,
1: but you know yeah just an idea i don't know i've been told that's a trap by the by the anti-anti so i don't know yeah, I guess yeah, it's yeah, just yeah, a, it's just a liberal yeah. trap i'm setting for him just to but say I'm, I'm anti-coup okay so
0: third third party and I, yeah. i'm I'm going to admit a couple of things here that i am agnostic skeptical and conflicted literally conflicted because this new party that was formed uh there was a group of other groups that merged into it and I was a very inactive member of the board of one of those groups and did sign off on the paper for the merger. So I, I have I have fingerprints on all of this, which I told you the other day and said, but but have at it. I mean, if you want to piss from a great height on third party
1: ideas, you you have at it. So. Well, what I changed you, because I your, took because I took your feedback. I decided to be constructive in the bulwark today, and so instead the of picture just, of the unicorn, instead of well, that's Hannah. That's Hannah that did the unicorn. Okay, I didn't request <laughs> oh, the unicorn, oh, oh, oh. Uh, um, oh, uh, so we're gonna blame Hannah for that. Right. I uh, I will uh, brilliant by the way. Hannah's art is there's a great Reddit thread uh, on the bulwark Reddit if if people you know want to get bonus bulwark content uh, where everybody talked about their favorite Hannah art. Um, it's I worth it's see. worth it, it, is, it is amazing. Okay. So rather than only piss from a great height, the conceit of the article was that it would also include some constructive, maybe slightly tongue in cheek thoughts about what a third party that could work would look like. And this is the thing. And, you know, that frustrates me about the third party efforts is that, um, you know. Any third-party effort, we don't need to name names. I don't want to pick up people because I do. I mo- uh, almost all of these people I greatly admire and all of their courage. We and we always pick on people. Yeah, this is yeah, what so, we do. Here. Yeah, we do pick up people. But I'm just saying. I, I'm not trying to like and, pick and, on anyone Andrew in particular. Yang. Okay, and, sure. And, so and let's Yang we can say Andrew Yang. We'll let's, let's use Andrew Yang. Let's say you have <laughs> Andrew Yang here, and he's teaming up with. A coterie of never Trump Republicans who all voted for Joe Biden in in 2020. Okay. And they want to start a third party. Whatever, it's a free country. But let's just think about this for a second. Everyone in that group, like they might say that they're bipartisan because the people used to be Republicans on the one side that voted for Joe Biden, but Andrew and Andrew Yang might not feel like a Democrat, but he ran for president as a Democrat. Everybody in that group voted for Joe Biden. Okay. So what is that group offering? You, can, you can't see my hands flailing right now what is that group offering to the Donald Trump voters to the people that voted for Donald Trump and and my what I'm positing is I think nothing okay and so if you're if your third party is is only attracting people who are re- reluctant members of the Biden coalition plus a handful of people who did write-ins like wrote in Edmund Burke or whatever then then all you then you're not creating a third party you're just creating a fat an organized faction Within the Biden coalition, which maybe there's some value in who doing that, actually, to try to create some political power. But that's not what they're arguing for. They're arguing that this is a third party. And so what my article says is if you're serious about a third party and you want to do a third party, then you've got to figure out how you can take people from the Trump coalition. And now here's where things get a little here's where things get a little dicey. Taking people from the Trump coalition means you got to appeal to voters who like Donald Trump because there's this myth out there that there are all these Donald Trump voters who don't really like him, but just voted for him anyway. Like, that's not really true. Like, that's at most 10% of his voters. I think it's really more like five, but at most 10%. And taking 10% of Donald Trump's voters gets you nothing. Nada. Like, so, so how do you get into the people that like Donald Trump? And, and, and the only way to do that is to by partnering with people that you probably find problematic. And hence the paradox of creating a third party.
0: Um, except that they've made it clear that this is not about Trump or Biden or about 2024. In fact, it is, you know, they, they they're very, very, they're very explicit. So here's David Jolly yesterday on, on MSNBC answering this, pointing out that this whole Trump, you know, Trump voter Trump thing, it completely misses the point about what this group is actually trying to do. So this is David Jolly, number one.
2: So what exactly does this mean? Are we going to see a a presidential candidate in 2024 from this third party? Yeah, thank you. Thank you for asking that. And let me let me answer that question head on. This is not an effort to run a presidential candidate in 2024 or chase a shiny object. This is an effort to build a viable, credible, durable, sustainable national political party. What that means is setting up essentially 50 state parties and aggregating them under the national coalition that will be forward. What we hope to do is what we've recently been able to do, which is elect a mayor of Newtown, Connecticut, or run candidates for township supervisor or yes, Congress or Senate. Look, who knows what 2024 presents? And if at that moment meets the forward party halfway, I'm sure they will reach out and grab it. But that is not the intent of the forward party today to play in the 24 presidential race.
0: Okay, so let's just leave all that Trump stuff aside for the moment. I mean, the reality is you have a huge number of Americans that are looking at the system and thinking this system is corrupt. It's dysfunctional. I don't really have a choice. You know, in their op-ed piece yesterday, um, I think it was Christy Todd, uh, Whitman, David Jolly and uh, and Andrew Yang wrote, you know, some call third party spoilers, but the system is already spoiled. There are more than 500,000 elected positions in the United States, but a recent study found that more than 70 percent of races on the ballot in 2020 were unopposed or uncontested. A tiny, tiny sliver of U.S. congressional seats will have close races this November. The two major parties have shut out competition And America is suffering as a result. So again, leaving aside the presidential race, because no one wants to split a coalition that might make Donald Trump more palatable, but you look at the possibility, can we create an organization or a movement that focuses on democratic values, ranked choice voting, gerrymandering other things that have made this system so sclerotic
1: I, sure but i i just i don't know what the point why that's a third party and like what the mayor of newtown is going to do that's fine I, I think that there's some good ideas out there and maybe this this can sort of evolve into some of that i love what uh, uh was it malinowski that was pushing in new jersey sure. for example right, right? right. like yeah, this notion right. that like it's it's a party but like not really, because we're like not so much trying to elect our own people as we are trying to like create a block that can punish uh, a party that pushes two extreme candidates within a state. I think that makes sense. I've long thought and, and have, have expressed this idea to the third party crowds that doing what Evan is doing in Utah I think makes sense, McMullen. Yeah, yeah, I I think particularly. I I don't. I think that he's gonna have a tough race for some from some particular reasons. But I I think that like the notion that uh, you know maybe there should be some kind of group that works with the Democrats in red states that like tries to rebrand as something because the Democrat brand is so toxic. Like how is a Democrat going to win in Kentucky? You know, right. maybe it would be better to have a differentiated brand there that has some different types of candidates. So I, yeah, I mean, sure. I, I think that the inverse of that may be in blue states for Republicans, especially after what we just saw in Maryland where like a normal Republican loses a primary to a, a QAnon lunatic. Maybe it makes sense for the Republicans to create some So, so yeah, I think that, that, that those are all, like, strategic things that make sense. The problem, though, again, once you get to a national level is, and I understand why you know, they don't want to get into that, but, like, you can't just pretend like Donald Trump doesn't exist. Like, once you get to a national level, if you want to attract to a third middle way party... Like you have to somehow attract people to vote for Donald Trump. And I think this is the frustrating part about all this for me is that like all this conversation is all happening for within people that did vote for Biden. Right. So. So, again, you can take Trump and Biden out of it, but still those voters remain the same. And so how can what are you offering that appeals to them and it seems to me that a lot of times what we're talking is things that appeal to the sensibilities of folks that are all already kind of are on the same OK, side. fair, fair, fair enough. But I don't think anyone's ever going to accuse the bulwark or this podcast
0: of pretending that Donald Trump doesn't exist. That's, just not, <laughs> that's, true. that's not really our. No, our, no, no our I, do, I know.
1: I was responding to what John. I, I, I I'm not trying to pick on Jolly in particular. He's not here to defend himself. Jo- I like David Jolly. So I'm just at that point that he was making MSNBC right. is like put Trump aside. It's like, OK, that's fine. But well, Trump's, well, voters, okay. Trump's voters, Trump's voters, what are we I doing about
0: them? Yeah, we are not going to pretend that Donald Trump does not exist. <laughs> on the other hand, there is a moment where you go, if you're thinking about, you know, the next century of American politics or the next several decades, where it's not all about Donald Trump. There are other issues. And, and this is something that, that I've toyed with in the past, which is that at some point you have to, you know, change the, you know, the, this this locked in paradigm of American politics, where we think of everything on a continuum of right versus left, you know, that that horizontal axis. Versus the the vertical axis of liberalism, illiberalism, you know, pro democracy, you know, m- making the country actually function again, and and I think that on the margins you could, you can do something about that, and and so this is one of the things that they're doing, and again, I, I I'm saying I'm skeptical, I'm conflicted about all of this, but um, Jolly has an, makes it also makes an interesting point about the fact that. This is not an ideological party. This is not a center-right party. This is something that is is different. Now, I now how that actually plays out. I will admit I don't fully understand. Simply saying that we're you know independent thinkers, we're open-minded. I'm I'm not sure you know how that works, uh, whether that's a void or not. But but the, again, this this is because I wanted to get you know David into this. This is what David had to say about the question, because, you know, at one point, like not that long ago, he wrote an op ed piece and he's asked about this. I'll play this in a minute. He's, he's asked about this where he said this, you know, third parties are doomed for many of the reasons that you just said. And <laughs> he's trying to explain why this is different than okay. the critique that you just offered and that he offered a year ago. This is uh, David Jolly, too.
2: You yourself have said in the past an effort like this would be electorally doomed, Um, but at the time you were talking about something that was more center-right. You're talking about something that spans the whole ideological spectrum. So how can this work? I mean, and do you you see a party that appeals to moderates actually getting more done in Congress? Yeah, thank you for bringing that up. I wrote a column about a year ago when an effort was launched to build a center-right party, and I said The lessons of history teach us that to demand americans coalesce around a specific ideology will fail and so what has been engineered at the forward party is something that's big enough to bring progressives moderates and conservatives together and the basic premise is look if we fundamentally agree as americans which i believe we do in economic opportunity personal liberty defense of democracy then let's exercise innovative optimistic independent thought and realize that The major parties and the minor parties, all of them are starting at a point of saying, we must subscribe to a specific ideology. I think that's looking backwards, not forward. It's why I was happy to move our organization into this new effort. It is a game changer in in modern political thought. 40% of Americans today reject any party, major or minor, but Mm -hmm. it is wrong to assume they're all moderate. They're not. It's a beautifully diverse coalition. Forward has tried to build a platform to accommodate all of those Americans.
0: So, again, sounds good. How it actually plays in reality, I don't know. Uh, It sounds to me as if they are going to start uh, a small ground up building, you know, state organizations, getting into some of these races that are perhaps not competitive in the traditional way. And I guess I'm, you know, I'm, I'm willing to listen. And by the way, look, we're never Trump. We were used to be never Trump Republicans. So obviously we like the idea of unicorns.
1: Right. Yeah, sure. And I, and I, again, and that all sounded great that David Jolly was saying. And I don't, you know, I don't get to decide how David Jolly lives his life. I I think that (laughs) I I hope that that's intentional. I, I wish, I guess my point is I wish people like David were. And and I have a number of conversations on this, and this is an ongoing frustration of mine. I know David. Has, everyone has their own little picadillas. Is that I hear from people like him, and they say, "Well, I'm, I'm Tim. I'm thinking about running third party, or I'm thinking about running in a primary against the QAnon Republican in my party." And 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 what I always say is, "Boy, I wish that more." Republicans, former Republicans, people who are still conservative in particular, I don't know that I'm a great fit for this It's like a moderate gay. Um, But, uh, but you know, people who have like, conservative, social cultural values. Um, but but are against Trump on this up down scale that you're talking mm-hmm. about. I wish they would run as Democrats. And, and, and I think that would be a more productive use to have more Joe Manchin types. And that goes all the way down in Florida. Uh, you know, I don't have the Florida map in front of me, but I'd love to have David Jolly types or other more culturally conservative anti- but pro-democracy people running for House. Sure, even state house, but how about Congress? Um, you know, and and see whether that works. Um, you know, essentially, how about I'm obsessed with Tim Ryan right yeah. now, but how about someone run the Tim Ryan campaign who can do it with maybe a little more credibility because they hadn't, you know, been in Congress, um, you know, voting with the Democrats, right? I, I think that's an interesting idea, and a more, in my opinion, a more practical idea that's likely to be successful than than what these guys are talking about well I'll bring that, One that up man's with, opinion.
0: Uh, we'll bring that up with connor lamb in pennsylvania or sarah gadlewski in, uh, in in wisconsin
1: look but i they're think in the model, into senate seats that's what i'm saying i don't okay. I think it's different I, in
0: red state i like, see i see i think the model here is go back to what, what's happening in utah for people who have not been paying attention so no democrat is ever going to get elected in utah it's not going to happen right so mike lee who has made himself a uh, uber trumpy is running for reelection if it was mike lee versus any democrat whoever you could come up with mike lee is going to crush that person agree uh okay. concur yeah okay okay so what Evan McMullen did was he launched a third party movement sort of based on he's a conservative, but he's he's very clearly anti-Trump a, a, against the authoritarian, anti-democratic, uh, you know, racist, uh, you know, you know, radicalist, extremist vibe of the, the party. He gets into the race. Demo- as a third party candidate, Democrats very prudently, very intelligently decide, OK, We're not going to win this race, so let's stand down. And so, the race for Senate in Utah is between this Trumpy Mike Lee and a non and an anti Trump, never Trump, uh, conservative. And okay, as you point out, it's an uphill fight, but it's a real race. And uh, last time, Evan McMullen's within five points of Mike Lee, so that's the kind of Perhaps you know, let's let's mix up this binary choice that we have been locked into. Sure,
1: can I add one thing that's going to make everybody uncomfortable about this, including myself, is that okay? But we still have to remember the Trump voter. So I, I agree. I think what's going on in Utah is great, worth a try. For me, it like almost doesn't go far enough because, frankly, I think that Evan, despite the fact that he's conservative, agrees with. democrats on a lot of the key issues that are being discussed right now and so for this to work like why does joe manchin work in west virginia let's just keep joe saint joe as our north star why does he work because he makes libs mad sometimes you know because he really makes them mad and and that is appealing to voters that voted for donald trump who also like to make libs mad okay and so in order for these gambits to work You have to kind of make people in your own coalition uncomfortable because you have to attract people that vote. You can put Donald Trump aside, but I'm talking about the people. you got to attract the people that voted for Donald Trump. How are you going to do that? You know, I would love to have seen like a really hardline anti-abortion candidate run um, or, Hmm. you know, somebody, right? Like, I'm just throwing issues out there. It could be anything. Anti-immigrant. Build the wall, independent or Democrat. Again, I don't want this, all right? I'm not for this, but I, I'm, I'm just trying to, to think, like, how do you actually do it? Like, how do you actually, you know, knock off some of these um, anti-democratic folks in red states? Um, and and that's the way, and, and what I see is a lot of people who are, like, staying within the comfort bubble of, of you know, sort of culturally liberal never-Trump world, And like, I'm a culturally liberal, never Trumper. So great. Uh, But but I I just I I think that like that is 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 putting them more in line with Democrats and not actually a strategic thing that is dividing the Republicans, which is the whole point of politics. See, one man's opinion.
0: Here's the here's the deal. I occasionally ride a unicorn. Okay. You, you are a unicorn. <laughs> so, I mean, can we just acknowledge this? You know, the gay conservative, you know.
1: Yeah, never in a, I'm living in Oakland. You know, I literally had an NPR like, stringer that came to my house one time and just um, like exactly. treated me like I was an albino. So I get it. I get well, they, it. Is, I get yeah, it. No, I, but I'm not trying to appeal no, to me. I'm That's open. what I'm saying. I'm trying to suggest no. how do we appeal to the dude living in Ogden, Utah, who, who voted for Donald Trump. But like, doesn't like Mike Lee about certain things. How do you get to that guy? It's not going to be with people who are just real only going to talk within never Trump glow you know culturally elite piety. No, 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 I, 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 I certainly
0: I certainly agree with this, and again, yeah. I, just to remind people that on this podcast, we will never pretend Donald Trump does not you know does not exist, but at some point, we have to think about a, a completely dysfunctional political system in which sure. the vast majority of voters in this country really aren't going to influence who their congressman is, who their senator is, who their governor is. I mean, there's just a lot of people out there who are disenfranchised um, because of the way the system works. And, and, you know, it's not a surprise to see the number of people in the polls who just think, you know, the American democracy doesn't work. So at some point, we need to do something about that. And, and again, you know, third party and, and look, most third parties have failed, there have been some successes, and this is a you know b- very much you know to be determined here. So, thank you for the radical agreement today, Tim, and thank you for the radical disagreement, which it was not that radical a disagreement here. Anytime, because we're just we're looking this, we're trying to do this. So, uh, I, again, um, I know you are a busy man, being a New York Times best-selling author. So, thank you for coming back on the podcast, Tim.
1: Charlie, I love it. Thanks to everybody
0: for listening. And the book is.
1: Why we did it <laughs> on shelves now, on shelves now. And you know, I made it three weeks. I'm not, I don't, I'm not upset. I'm not upset. I made it three weeks. It was fantastic. I'm over the moon. I just, I'm so grateful. I was playing Gloria doing the whole thing. You know, I see the numbers though. There are some listeners out there that haven't bought it yet. I know, I know for sure. And so I'm not mad at you. I'm just grateful for everybody to listen. I'm just grateful for everybody's support. I'm nothing, but I'm just throwing rose petals at all y'all's feet. Uh, But you know. If you haven't done it have yet? yet, go ahead. We, we, have, go the, we have the names. We have the we have the list. We do have the list. We have your names. We're checking it we, twice.
0: We 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 see you. <laughs> we know who you are. All right. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. I will be back on Tuesday, and of course on Monday, Amanda Carpenter and Will Salatan. Have a great weekend.